We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. When I gamble on sports, it makes me wish horrible things on other teams' players. I have money on Game 7, Heat versus Spurs. It was tight in the fourth quarter. I started thinking, you know what? You know what? If Tim Duncan dropped dead right now, I feel like the Heat could rally around that. And maybe they'd be energized on Tim Duncan's sudden death and the Spurs wouldn't play so well because they're sad about it, you know? There'd be lots of grief-related turnovers. <laughs> just hella five-second violations because Ginobili's holding the ball, just looking off into the distance, sadly. <laughs> Seconds, heat ball, hell yeah, we're gonna cover. I'll be the worst court side reporter. So, Dwight Howard, how do you feel like your 12 missed free throws affect the people that bet the over? Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike Beal. I'm very excited about this episode we have. Of course, with me, the co-host of this podcast, Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? Amazing to be here as always, Mike. Uh, I'm really excited for the guests we have on this week. And talking over-unders is, is a lot of fun. This was one of my favorite episodes we did this time last year. Uh, so hopefully it should be another good one. That's right. We're back with our what is now an annual over-unders episode where we talk about the Phoenix Suns over-under and then make up all of our own over-unders to bet on. And uh, for the over-under episode, there's no better person to have than Matt Moore. Matt Moore, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. For those of you who don't know, and I know you all do because everyone follows him on Twitter, Matt Moore is at HP Basketball. That's the Hardwood Paroxysm account on Twitter constantly talking about the NBA and a lot about gambling with the NBA. So a perfect episode to have Matt on. And Matt, you've been talking a lot online about the Suns over. You're one of the few Suns optimists 
on the internet for the 18, I'm sorry, for the 1920 season. Uh, what about the Suns and what they've done this offseason has made you talk about that over and actually recommend people bet that over? So the Suns definitely fall in the category of the kind of a team where I'm already just nauseous with thinking about having to, to go in on this because I, I know it's the right position. I've thought <laughs> about it. And yet there's that voice. It's like, really, man, you're taking the Suns over? Really? You're taking the you're taking this like you haven't been down this road enough times. You haven't seen this play out enough. You're you really think this is the way? But when I sat down and and I finally kind of unraveled where all the rosters were after everyone changed hands this offseason, um, the biggest thing is this: <clears throat> uh, in order to get to twenty five wins, you really need about seven guys that I can say are definitively NBA players that I can say. I know that they're going to be in the NBA, the National Basketball Association, 18 months from now. And every previous iteration of the Suns that has been an easy under, like last year's, which was a very easy under, um, has not had that. But when you look at what they've done over since the trade deadline last year and into the offseason, and you say, let's leave Devin Booker out. Like, let's just take Devin Booker, who's their best player, and let's put him aside because it's complicated. A lot of things with Devin are complicated in terms of trying to analyze the impact and everything else with the stats. Let's just look at Tyler Johnson, Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, DeAndre Ayton, Aaron Baines, Mikhail Bridges, and Dario Saric. That gets us to seven before Devin does anything. Before anything else, you have seven guys that I could say, that's a, those are functional, competent, going to be in the league in 18 months, NBA players like those guys are going to be in the league. Uh, they have shooting on the perimeter. They have playmakers. A lot of this is also based off of that very tiny stretch after the all-star break where the Suns were a little bit feisty when they had everybody healthy, when it was Tyler Johnson and Ubre along with Booker and Aiton, they were actually like some of those lineups have really good net ratings. It was this brief blip of time where they looked good, and had it been just that period and the rest of the time those lineups were garbage, it'd be one thing, but it wasn't. That was the only time that they were really around. And so you add that together. I like Baines a lot as a pickup, and Rubio is a competent NBA point guard. Like, he's just, he's extremely competent. Not great, going to hold you back in some ways, but he's competent. If the number was higher, I'd feel entirely different about Phoenix. But I'm able to get that number as low as mm -hmm. 27 and a half at some places, and that's low enough to where I have no choice but to be relatively confident that they're going to hit the over. Matt, I think you've successfully satisfied our audience to this point with that answer. Uh, talking talking about how you take the over, <laughs> but you left Devin Booker out of it. I want to bring him back in just because we have to talk about it. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to hold any punches back here. Just give an honest evaluation of your thoughts on Devin Booker going into now his, is it his fifth season? I should know this. Yeah, his fifth yeah, season. Fifth. And, you know, if we're not talking just about, say, a 27-28 win Suns team, but the Suns' aspirations of maybe even reaching as high as, who knows, 35, um, 538 has their, them projected based on Carmelo player projections at 35 wins, or, you know, if they want to even get to 40 wins or plus 500 basketball one day. Is Devin Booker the type of player who could be the number one option on a team like that? Yes, he can be. Um, I have some of the same questions that I think a lot of folks have. Like, I don't 
I reject the idea that Suns fans present, which says that uh, the idea of him being a good stats on a bad team guy is a false narrative, and that's just national media, and that's just people clowning the Suns. Like, no, like, look, anytime that you have these type of performances, like, we've learned enough about basketball to understand that there's a difference between a meaningful, impactful 35 points and an empty got him when the team was getting run over, but got his shots up and made enough 35 points. Like, there's just a differential there. And I think the best players are able to mold their game into what their team needs in order to get themselves better. And he's had time to do that. And that hasn't happened, which again, then we, this whole thing is, is an Ouroboros problem, right? The, the, the snake's eating its tail. The team's bad. So Devin can't make them better, but the team can't get better because Devin doesn't make them better, but he can't make them better because they're so bad. Like you're just eating yourself constantly. Um, I, I think, look, you look at the metrics and they're good. The up and down performance in the early part of the season, I think, is what's most alarming. Like a lot of his marquee stuff and the stuff where not just the big scoring performances, but his sustained stretches of excellence come in March. And that's the one month more than any as a guy that's been watching the league every single season, as many games as I can cram in for 12 years now. That to me is the most meaningless month. People act like March is like, oh, it's a lead up to the playoffs. No. The good teams are resting, the bad teams are tanking, the teams in the middle are trying really hard, and half the teams are injured. Like, March basketball is a mess. It's just a mess. Everyone's exhausted, everyone's injured, guys are in and out of the lineups, you're trying different things. You're re- So when, when those are his marquee moments, it's really hard for me to get behind the idea that that's like contributing to winning, especially when the Suns are openly tanking so often. It's like he's just putting... He's putting whipped cream on a, a ice cream sundae of crap. It just doesn't not really meaningful. But look, the skills are all there. I think <laughs> last year what I was impressed with is like I think you took real real steps forward last year as a passer, and part of that is you know they didn't have a point guard for most of the year. Mm-hmm. But he still he took a leap I think in that area. I think the key for him is can they find an identity for him? He could be the guy. But can they find an identity form where it's like, you're going to do like these things and you get to do them as much as you want because you're awesome at them, but it's going to fit into this greater concept. I don't think Devin can just be a guy that you're just like, oh, we're just going to build around him and everything's going to work out great. He's got to have some sort of identity in an offense with actual meaningful impact. And that I think is where Monty Williams comes in. And if that happens, then yeah, I think he can be the best player on a 35 to 40 win team. And then going forward, maybe even better. I think one of the biggest reasons Devin Booker is such a lightning rod is because of how difficult it is to analyze him just based off a lot of the things that you said. And I think, although some people might not that are listening may not have liked that answer, I think everything you said is absolutely true. I think one of the most difficult things for him particularly is, of course, that he, he plays on a Robert Sarver-led team, which has led to him having now his fifth coach in his fifth season and no stability outside of essentially him. He, he's the only real player left. Uh, that was part of that sort of McDonough rebuild other than the players that were drafted last season. And now he's on his fifth coach. So now we have Monty Williams. Monty Williams is one of those coaches that's actually kind of difficult to also analyze because he played in even just five years ago when he was an NBA coach, the NBA was drastically different than what it is now. And then he spent time with Oklahoma City as an assistant coach. And then he spent time with Philadelphia as an assistant coach there. And then he signed what is now the longest contract that Robert Sarver has ever given a head coach, which is a five-year deal with the Phoenix Suns. What is your impression of Monty Williams, and, and do you think he's a good coach for Devin Booker and for this team? Monty's really tough, I think, for to, to get a, 
a really clear picture on because there's been a lot of revisionism, uh, I think, about him because he's so well-liked. Like, Monty's exceptionally right. well-liked in the league. Uh, and that's by GMs and coaches and players and media. Like, we, everybody, we all like him. Like, I, I will say that. Like, I had really... I had I, I was fortunate enough to get like eight minutes with him back in uh, a long time ago uh, for a Drew Holiday feature that never wound up running because uh, Drew got hurt shortly thereafter. But I was like just blown away by Monty's thoughtfulness and his insightfulness and like the character that kind of shown through just in a short interview. And that's been reflected over and over and over again. And then obviously he suffered the tragedy with his wife, and that like reflected a little bit publicly in terms of like his speech was so wonderful as his wife's funeral and. That, that was really powerful and moving and emotional. Um, but you also have to remember, like, he was considered a failure in New Orleans. Like, there was a lot of conversation about he's got to go for this team to take the next step. Now, they didn't, which I think does say something about Monty. That, like, they made the playoffs under Monty Williams, and then he got let go because they were trying to make the leap, and the leap never came, which says something about that team in relation to Monty Williams' performance there. Um, what I think will be good is, I can't tell you when I go back in the summer and I just watch clip after clip after clip after clip. Like I just watch all these teams to try and like remember them and catch back up on them because you kind of some of the stuff fades after the playoffs. Um, the Suns for years have stood out in regards to they just they have no they never really seemed like they knew what they were doing. Like you would just stand out to you when you would watch. You'd be like these guys just do not know where they're supposed to be or where are what they're supposed to be doing. Or how they're supposed to play. And I think with the roster that they have now, and when Monty Williams is coach, they will at least know what they're doing. And honestly, that is half the battle towards being a competent NBA franchise, which is your first step back to relevance. Right. So it, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. This is the first time in a long time they have seven to eight, if you include Devin Booker, competent basketball players on the roster. Guys like Aaron Baines, uh, Ricky Rubio, Dario, Dario Sarge will know where to be at the very least on the basketball court, the other part of them improving, and I want to know how much this impacts you taking the over on the Suns, is how much you buy into their young core. And we already talked about Devin Booker, but I, I think we definitely need to get your opinion on DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges as well. Uh, what is your baseline expectation of those guys, uh, maybe not just in the upcoming season, but in seasons ahead, uh, and in what you think is the Suns' ability to build around them uh, long-term? You know, not just getting this baseline level of competence because they have some actual NBA players now, but actually having a core that they could build around, uh, you know, what do you think of guys like Aiton and Bridges? I'm really high on both. Um, I liked Aiton a lot as a prospect, and I didn't mind them taking him one. I thought they should have taken Luca, but it was not like it was like a, I can't understand that decision. It's like, I, I get it. Um, I thought he had a pretty good rookie season. I think that his reaction was pretty good in a lot of the games in terms of knowing, like, I learned, like, after, like, Jokic annihilated him, he was like, I have a lot to learn. <laughs> like, I just have a he, he, he was very transparent <laughs> about how much he has to learn. Um, the problem is going to be, I think, it's going to be very easy for DeAndre Ayton to get points and rebounds and get paid. Like, this is, this is one of the things with the league that's kind of difficult, is if you are a guy that just gets what I call production, just gets numbers, you will wind up getting paid that first contract. It's the easiest, quickest path to that first contract. 
But what DeAndre needs to do is like he needs to, to learn to be an impactful defender. He needs to learn to be able to pass effectively at double teams. He needs to learn how to set great screens to free up his teammates. He needs to understand how to move and create gravity to draw guys. Like There's all of these things that he needs to learn that aren't going to necessarily get him paid. And those competing priorities are, are, I think, tough for a young player who knows, like, yeah, but if I get points and rebounds, that's good. So I'll just get points and rebounds. And it's like, well, it is. Like, you need to do that too. But that can't be all that you do because you have to be able to do a little bit more. Um, I'm high on Bridges as well. I'm really high on Bridges, actually. I think I think Bridges is going to be um, pretty exceptional. I think that in time, he'll wind up being the kind of player that you really want um, as a key component long term uh, in your system. Like, he was 62nd percentile last season as a spot up shooter. For that to occur in his in that mm. system with that team, with all that mess going on, I think that that's a really promising kind of sign. And there's a lot of numbers also that indicate uh, when you look at the lineup data. There's a lot. There's like these little signals that kind of show like, oh, like Bridges really fills a gap. Like he's a guy that that slots in and he's a connector between these two components, and that can re- I think is really going to be key. Like the the big thing I think is going to be understanding the interaction, like. Can Booker and Aiton and Bridges play together? And if so, can they play together? Like, what do you need in order to make that work? Is it going to be Rubio with his playmaking? Is it going to have to be Tyler Johnson? Is it going to have to be um, even Kelly Oubre? Like, what what is the mechanism that's going to make that combination work? Or is it just going to take time? I will say this. Like, I don't think in three years that all three of those guys are there. Um, and that's just enough of probability. Like, we no. just – just to be really honest with you, like, most of the young cores don't work out that way. Um you know, it's rare that you stumble onto a Greg Oden, Brandon Roy, Lamarcus Aldridge type combo, or James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant. Like you just don't stumble on those guys very often. And a lot of times, the problem isn't even necessarily the on-court fit. It's about all the other stuff. It's that one of them winds up having bad practice habits, and that drives coaches crazy. And the organization has a lot of trouble. And then they get disgruntled, and then they're a problem in the locker room. Or there's tension between two guys, and it's like, okay, clearly, like Aiton's now better than Booker, and that's causing tension because Booker wants to be the guy. Like, there's all these dynamics that are complicated, and so I wind up thinking that in time, one of the three will be gone. Because even if let's say that the optimum happens, which is like Devin ascends to superstardom, and that he's able to get actual scoring nights on a team that's worth a damn and deandre learns to defend at even like a baseline level and the production and, and assists or the production the the points and rebounds stand out enough to be like oh no he's like a really valuable big man um well then it becomes okay is the best thing for you to build mikhail or is it to, to trade him to get a better an upgrade of the wing spot that you know can kind of fit in and take this team to the next level so the probability of all of those outcomes strongly favors the idea that they're not all going to be there long term. Um, but I think that there's a good chance that one of them will work out. I think there's a good chance that two of them will work out. Uh, and even that, that that caps out as just like a pretty good team, I think that that's a step in the right direction to start rehabbing the franchise. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting. Some of the stuff you, you said that Aiton needs to learn is what Baines is good at. And I think I, that was a big thing with James Jones trying to bring someone in that is a good influence in that locker room with – uh, you know, showing what it really takes to be a long-term NBA big, and hopefully that will actually turn into something good for him development-wise. Now, one thing I've been wanting to ask you, I'm going to shift away from the Suns a little bit. Uh, something I find fascinating with people like you, you have 132,000 followers on Twitter, I think, or something like that. 
And you are one of the guys, when you think of NBA Twitter, you're like one of the guys that you, you have to follow. It's like somebody that you have to follow. And that means that fans of every single team are following you. And you probably have a pretty good understanding of what different fan bases are like. I do have to ask, what is, from that perspective, what is your impression of Suns fans and what are they like? Uh, you're a little Knicks-like. Um, and, and by that... <laughs> Bad owners. And, 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 by, <laughs> and by that I mean, like, there's a high level of really great fans that are on there and are really funny and self-deprecating and understand, like, how much of a mess the team is. And that's, like, it's fun to follow just for, like, the, like, ha-ha, I'm dying inside. Like, it's funny because I'm dead inside. <laughs> like, that's that stuff's funny. But, the, but you also have the same thing where I run into this with Knicks fans, this kind of, like, outrage of being counted out. Like, you're just saying that because of the narratives about us being terrible. And it's like, you've won, like, 25 games in three years. Like, what are we, like, what are we talking about here? Um, there's that really is there's like an they're, they're considered to be an affront of you shouldn't just assume we're going to be bad just because we've been bad for the last five years have one of the worst owners and we don't really know what this uh, management group's going to look like oh yeah and we constructed one of the worst trades of the offseason other than that though show us one thing where the team's going wrong and it's like guys <laughs> you gotta be you gotta be a little reasonable but part of what winds up happening a lot is the fans feel that because they've, they've watched the team 82 nights a year, which I can't, I watch them as much as I can, I can't watch 82, that they have a better feel for the team. And in some cases, that's true. The problem is that they also don't have the perspective of what other franchises look like. So they're not able to recognize things where it's like, like that's part of it. Is you're like, well, Devin does this and that and the other. I was like, okay, I get you. But there's a lot of times when I also don't know what the hell Devin's doing on the floor. And that doesn't happen when I look at Donovan Mitchell. Right, like I was watching. I watched. I, I've watched every clip of Donovan Mitchell this season. I went back and just just got finished with him. I did DeAndre, uh, or I did De'Aaron Fox. I did him. I did Trey Young. I'm actually doing Devin um, starting this week. I wanted to come on the podcast and talk about some stuff, and I wish I'd gotten to Devin before, but didn't have time. Um, but like you do tend to learn things about him, and like I, I honestly think that Devin's probably got a higher offensive ste- a ceiling than Donovan Mitchell, and I think Donovan Mitchell is like. I'm way in on the Donovan Mitchell bandwagon. I think Devin's probably got more natural skill and is a better finisher in some regards. Like his smoothness is incredible, but there's little things that stand out when you watch all the other franchises. And that's part of the tension is if you watch the, the, the same team every night, you're like, I know them the best. And it's like, yes, but you're also, you're in the cave. Like you're in the cave and all you know is the cave and you don't see that the cave is actually on from the outside like there's water constantly rushing in and flooding you and that should not be happening like other (laughs) caves are safer and much nicer you're not able to see that because of the perspective of of covering the whole league versus just one team i have to admit i'm definitely guilty of doing that to other people you know the i have watched the sun's 82 games and you the scary national writer have not um you know i think we have to end this conversation now if we want to get on with the rest of the episode but i just want to say matt before we let you go uh, for someone who covers the entire NBA, I think you do a phenomenal job of covering even the bad teams at a very, very impressive level. So thank yeah. you for what you do. Well, thanks, guys. And yeah, and I, you know, I'm always trying to get better. Absolutely. And I do try and be open uh, to feedback from folks like you and, and your listeners to there are things I miss. And we all I think we all just want to get better. If you're open to it, after you uh, do all that deep dive into Devin Booker, we'd love to have you back on to talk about what you learned and uh, maybe a little bit of a therapy session after watching that much Suns basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Don't forget, I think you all follow him already, but don't forget, follow him at HP Basketball. You can find all of his writing at the Action Network. Lots of good stuff on gambling and lots of great stuff about basketball as you just heard him talk about it. So thanks again, Matt. Thanks, guys. All right, I'm very, very excited about this. This is now an annual tradition for us. Some of my favorite episodes from last season were before the season began. We had Max McCauley, who's with us, on to make up some fake over-unders. And then we kept track of those over-unders and, and went through all of them at the end of the year. And uh, we, we were able to see who was the best at predicting what the Suns could and couldn't do. Uh, I will say we started a little too early last year because uh, we included Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris in those over-unders <laughs> that we went through last year, and then they were traded. We waited a little bit longer this year. We're relatively certain that the roster that the Suns have right now is the roster they're going to have on day one of the season. Uh, we'll see. Uh, who knows? The future of Elliot Kobo uh, is, is up, in, up in the air right now, but we'll see. So we'll go over some fake over-unders right now. And for this one, this is new this year, we created a Google form. So anyone that's listening to this podcast can now uh, log on and actually fill out all of these over-unders. And we'll have a category for me, a category for Sam, a category for Max, and a category for all Suns fans who fill out this form and see who got, see who got the most of these right at the end of the year. Uh, so everyone's ready for this. One, first, before we start, I want to say, Max, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. And that's such a cool idea. You guys sent me the Google spreadsheet and I got on this with you. But I even before you just said that, I had no idea that this was going to be a fan participation thing, too. That's such a good idea. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like last time we didn't have any. Uh, we need receipts, I guess. We need to see what the yeah. fans think, too, because I think some people were talking some crap last year. And uh, now we're going to have some receipts on what they think <laughs> is accurate for this year. Uh, and we can actually track them as well. Well, as, yeah. the reigning, so those- as the reigning loser in this annual tradition i just want to say i think i went six for 19 last year which is probably worse than <laughs> kelly Oubre's three-point percentage in this upcoming season and you know now in addition to you guys kicking my ass i have to be a little bit worried about the fans as well and then coming to talk shit to me on twitter so uh, i'm hoping for the best out of this one it should be fun but <laughs> i am to, a little bit nervous you need to outperform donovan mitchell in a playoff game this year yeah <laughs> yeah those are kobe stats those those are kobe playoff game stats so um Obviously, we have a lot to go through. We'll try and whip through some of them. We saved the Booker ones for the end. So the Devin Booker ones, if you're looking for over and unders, made up over unders about Devin Booker, those are at the end of this podcast. We'll, we'll start with an interesting one, I think. This is DeAndre Ayton, blocks per game. And for those who don't know, I make up the line. I just make up a line where I don't really know if it's over or under. I'm trying to decide right now on the podcast. And for DeAndre Ayton, blocks per game, I set the over-under at 1.3 blocks, which is actually still pretty low for a big man, but would be a relatively big improvement for DeAndre Ayton. So we have to choose whether it's over or under. Max, since you're our guest, and for those who didn't listen last year, Max won. He came on our podcast and he beat both me and Sam. So Max was a winner. And as the reigning champion of the over-unders, Max, what do you think for Ayton blocks per game over-under 1.3? Yes, I was the very best at predicting a season in which none of the players that we thought were going to play played. People were traded. <laughs> Things went horribly. We won 19 uh, games. So, yeah, the, congratulations <laughs> to me. Uh, 1.3, Mike, I told you before we started this, I'm looking at the Google Doc. These, these lines are all very good. I have a hard time with all of these. Uh, and this one uh, is no exception. So, wait, he was at what, 0.9 last year? Is that what it was? Yes. yes. Okay, so 0.4. I mean, I'd be, actually be happy with this. I think I'm going to say slight under but man i think it's the perfect line sam what do you think 
So typical of me, I tried to take a historical approach with this one. I uh, will take any excuse possible to plug in a filter into basketball reference. And what I did (laughs) is I looked at rookie big men uh, who had played at least 2,000 minutes with a block percentage of less than 3%. Aiton was at 2.6% last year. What the filter uncovered for me is the following active players. Nene, Andrew Bogut, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, Marcus Saul, Greg Monroe, Al Horford. I went into this with the idea that I would get an answer and I came out of it still having no fucking clue as to what sort of development to expect out of DeAndre Ayton because the truth is we have a really wide array of outcomes uh, out there. Andrew Bogut started his career as a rookie who did not block all that many shots. His rim protection wasn't that great from the statistics. He went on just a few years later to lead the league in blocks. You look at other guys like Greg Monroe, didn't turn out too well. Nene didn't turn out too well. And then you have guys like Marcus Saul, Al Horford, um, very good defenders, but just from a rim protection standpoint, kind of stayed in the middle of the pack. Uh, so I really don't know what to expect from Aiton, but I'm going to take the over, uh, partially to be in contrast to Max, also partially just because I feel like I'm usually giving pessimistic answers, and I'd like <laughs> to be a little bit more optimistic this year, uh, hoping that my results change for the better. So a couple things, Sam. First of all, optimism is the biggest trap for these over-unders, I think. It was the trap that I fell into most of the time because I think a lot of the ones I got wrong were the ones that I said, I'm going to pick the over because it's more fun to root for the over. And now that the fans are involved, and of course Max beat us last year, my pride is now on the line. So I'm going to take the under as well, just a slight under. Now, a couple things I think with blocks that are interesting. Blocks are not exactly a perfect measurement of whether or not defense is improved or not. It's, It's just... It's just blocks. That's all it is. But someone with the size and athleticism of DeAndre and really should be getting at least a block and a half per game. But to predict that level of improvement, basically a little, almost half a block, basically a game, a block every two games improvement. I'm not sure if I'm willing to predict that at this time. The one thing I will say in your favor, uh, Sam, is he's probably going to play more minutes per game, Mm. I would imagine, this coming season. He's probably going to be a little more in shape, probably going to be able to to play a little bit more. He only really played 30.7 minutes per game uh, last season, so... You know, it's it's really hard to, to to predict what he's going to play next season. That's not one of our over unders. Spoiler alert: uh, how many minutes he's going to play? Uh, just the blocks for him. And um, I'm going to pick the slight under as well. I think 1.2 is is an is is an improvement, not something to really uh, phone home about. Really, it's not not a huge improvement. But uh, I, I'm afraid to pick the over on that one. I guess is 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 what I'm what I'm saying here, which is kind of a little bit worry, worrisome, but it is what it is. Yeah, and also the thing about Aiden too is I think like long term his defensive upside comes more as a perimeter defender in the playoffs. That's like what that's kind of what he yeah. could break the game as. So and I'm not necessarily saying he's not going to average 1.3 blocks his entire career. He, I, I really hope he averages more than that at some point. I do think that he, his you know his increments may be lower because I think that's going to be kind of the focus for him. At least I, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's a weird thing with DeAndre Ayton particularly because, uh, and and in this specific scenario as well, because Monty Williams is, is a bit of an unknown quantity for all of us. We're not sure what the schemes are going to look like. We're not sure what they're going to value in their defense uh, going forward. So uh, will they be switch heavy? If they are switch heavy, does that decrease his amount of blocks that he actually gets because he's not really patrolling the paint and he's actually out on the perimeter? We don't really know. Yep. Uh, so this is an unknown. I guess that's what makes the uh, number interesting here. So 1.3. So, Sam, you pick the over. Me and Max pick the under. We'll see where that goes. Uh, next one is Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre, three-point percentage. This one's a bit optimistic, I'll be honest. 
It's 33.5%. And believe it or not, that would be the highest three-point percentage of his career. So basically what I'm saying is there's going to be an improvement. The idea is uh, maybe he'll be open uh, from three-point range here. And uh, Ricky Rubio delivering those passes could potentially increase his three-point percentage. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but John Wall was actually the best at creating open three-pointers in the NBA. Uh, with Washington, so I'm not sure that that's an accurate pr- uh, prediction there. But 33.5, I don't feel like that's a massive improvement, especially because we've seen Kelly Oubre uh, on Instagram, who loves to post videos of him working out, working with Drew Hanlon. Drew Hanlon is a famous shot coach, so I would assume that that three-point shot was something that he's been working on this summer. Uh, so Max, we'll start with you again. What do you think about Kelly Oubre's three-point percentage? First, if I, if I looked at Kelly Oubre, I would also like to post workout videos of myself constantly. Um, <laughs> so it's tough, man, because I think that Kelly Oubre is a better three-point shooter than that, just, just form-wise. Uh, you know, I think he's, there's nothing wrong with the way he shoots three-pointers. The issue for, for me is more shot selection with him. Uh, he takes some shots he probably shouldn't be taking. So if he can, you know, rein that in a little bit and take, you know, more of the spot up corners and the, and, you know, even above the break, as long as they're catch and shoots, I think he'd hit a higher percentage of them. The problem is, and the other thing, part of this is why I love him. He'll pull up, you know, in transition, and just take threes out of nowhere. And sometimes they go in and it's awesome, but oftentimes they don't and it takes him down a little bit. So I think, again, really tough number. I think I'll take a slight over just because I think I, I buy into the whole Kelly Oubre thing. This season, I think he didn't really like it in Washington. I think he's kind of engaged. He's going to be part of this team. I think he likes the whole thing. So I'm going to buy in that he's going to buy in on the team concept and, and play a little bit more within himself. So I'm going over. Sam, what do you think? I would really, 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 really like to take the over, uh, but I just don't think I can buy into it enough. The funny thing about Kelly is, in theory, all of your logic, Mike, and uh, you as well, Max, the logic makes sense. More open looks, more playmaking should lead to a higher percentage. Uh, on the other hand, Kelly Oubre shot 29% on wide open threes last season, according to NBA.com. That's if the closest defender is six feet or further away, uh, which is something that just doesn't intuitively really make any sense. I think shot selection is also something that he has to work on. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if it's his form. I don't know if working with Drew Hanlon is going to help. It's just this is the one area of his game that he really really has to figure out if he wants to uh, beat out Mikhail Bridges for the starting small forward spot long term. Uh, I'm going to take the under on this one, although hopefully it's only a slight under. Now, I'm going to fall into the trap that I just mentioned on the last one. But towards the end of this season, if he's at like 33.4, 33.5, and I'm rooting for him to miss some three-pointers so that I hit my number, I, I don't think I could live with myself. So I'm also going to choose the over and I kind of I do kind of buy into Drew Hanlon and I do kind of buy into the idea that uh, he didn't like Washington as well now I will say I was actually wrong there was one season where he had 34 percent in Washington so he has in the past shot slightly over it's just consistently in the past and in Phoenix he has not I do think possibly with better spacing in general with better players on the team uh, there there could be more open three-point opportunities for him so I think that could also improve his overall uh, shot percentage there um, so I'm gonna also choose the over on that one but I think it's 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 kind of voting with my heart a little bit over my mind on that one uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on Ubre and his three-point shot it is a vital thing that's the one thing that's important because I don't know we're gonna talk about starting uh, soon so we're gonna talk about who we expect to start 
But if Kelly Oubre is starting for this team, like his three-point shot is an absolute vital thing for this team to actually improve massively going forward. My only comment is that I hate that Sam destroyed my entire point with actual facts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he's actually better when he's uh, in transition. Maybe that's why it feels so good when he takes Well, it. yeah, I mean, not necessarily, though, Max, because no, 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 I, right. I throw out the numbers. And I know you're joking anyway, but I throw out the numbers. But, you know, you got small sample sizes mm -hmm. uh, when you try to filter down. It's who, who the fuck knows? Uh, we'll exactly. see. I just I don't have a lot of confidence in a shot, but but that's just me. Yeah, the one thing I will say is if his and and it's not I will say to start this, but if his summer workout videos are any indication, he plans on attacking a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and, you and, and Instagram, more, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly Ubre's got a lot of he's got a lot of videos on there. So uh, if that's any indication, I I don't know how much he's going to shoot, and maybe that maybe shooting less can actually improve his overall uh, three point percentage. But we'll see. Going forward, this is another Kelly Oubre one. This is Kelly Oubre, number of Valley Boy merchandise items sold, and that's at 0 0.5. So the question is essentially, will Kelly Oubre ever sell any Valley Boys merch? This is a complicated one, and of course we brought on the official lawyer of the Timeline Podcast, which is Max. <laughs> so Max, I assume you have some thoughts on this one. Uh, I'll give my answer before you you give your opinion, so I'm not uh, so I'm not writing on that. I think it's under. I think at this point, um, the person who sucked all the fun out of it has sucked all the fun out of it, and I think at this point it's not really worth it for Kelly Oubre. There's no fun in it anymore when uh, it's sort of been bastardized all over the internet, so I just expect it not to happen at this point. Maybe, Sam, we'll start with, we'll, we'll go with you next, and then we'll let Max finish up with his opinion, which is much more informed than ours. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll also take the under, um, just so that Max doesn't bias my opinion either i'll go first and and i'll say the under i think it's more likely at this point that kelly comes up with some other catchphrase like there's nothing that inherently interesting about valley boys he's a very charismatic dude he's perfectly capable of coming up with something else and uh when he does he should just trademark it really really fast that is a great point sam i think it's a great idea that's exactly what he should do uh, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for the honorary designation as the lawyer of this podcast. <laughs> for that, I will trade you my pro bono services anytime you need. All right. Um, so basically, I actually agree, unfortunately, with the douchebag who uh, is fighting Kelly Oubre over this thing. The way U.S. <laughs> trademark laws work, and, and I must give the disclaimer, I have limited facts here. I don't know everything that's involved. It's based on my understanding of what's going on here. Is that they, so Kelly Oubre starts talking about this, and this, this guy quickly just starts selling this crap in commerce. And the way U.S. trademark laws work is if you're first in commerce, you establish your rights to the to the mark. So the fact that Kelly registered his federal mark first doesn't matter. This guy has at least common law rights in Arizona to promote this thing. And honestly, where else would it really matter where you can promote it? So I do think this guy has the rights to it. And I think the perfect way to get around it would be to create a new catchphrase as Sam has uh, defined. I think it's a great idea. So I'm going under as well. That's really unfortunate. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was hoping for better news, I guess, but it, it is what it is. It seemed like uh, the guy who really took the reins in, on this did actually do his research, which is unfortunate in this specific scenario because there was so much excitement around it. But I will say, in my opinion, the, there's less excitement around it in general right now because of that. Mm -hmm. So it actually would not make sense from a marketing perspective for Kelly Oubre to latch onto it at this point. And, and Sam, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe something will come out of it. I will say the fact that it came about organically is what it what was actually kind of fun about it. So, uh, 
making up something fun organically is actually pretty difficult. You know, when it's forced, people can tell it's forced. So we'll see what happens. And uh, and if nothing happens, that's fine. <laughs> I don't really yeah. need to buy anything <laughs> like this. But it, I am just a little disappointed that it was bastardized the way it was. So, um, well, sorry, Kelly, I guess. And we'll see if we're right. Maybe he'll just do it anyway and, and, and see what happens out yeah, of it. That's possible. <laughs> um, the next one. This one actually should should promote some conversation here. And Sam, I'll start with you since we forced Max a few times here as well. Uh, this is Mikhail Bridges. Games started. So how many games will Mikhail Bridges start? The most common assumed starting lineup does not include Mikhail Bridges online. We did some polls. I've seen some people talk about it. More commonly than not, it's a combination of Rubio, Booker, Ubre, Saric, and Aiton. That's the most common expected starting lineup. So I set this line at 21.5, and the idea of the line at 21.5 essentially is this is about maybe Kelly Ubre has a couple sprained ankles throughout the season. Yes. And this this would be about what it would happen if Kelly Ubre was just injured a few times with minor injuries throughout the season. So basically what you're betting on is will he earn a starting spot or will his starts come at uh, it, because of an injury of Saric or Ubre or whatever it is, or even potentially will he jump Saric in that starting lineup and it could be some sort of combination of Saric and Ubre. So that's 21.5. Mikhail Bridges' game started. Sam, what do you think? I'm going over uh, for a combination of the reasons you listed. Really, it comes down to injuries. I think, now I can't guarantee that Monty Williams feel this uh, feels this way, but I think for sure Mikhail is the sixth best player uh, on the Suns. If he's not going to start, he might even be higher. Uh, but he is definitively, I think, a more impactful player than Tyler Johnson. So I think you could justify if Kelly Oubre sprains an ankle, he goes into the starting lineup. If Devin Booker sprains an ankle or gets any other injury and he hasn't been very healthy uh, throughout his career, as we know, I still think it would be Mikhail who goes into the starting lineup at shooting guard, not Tyler Johnson. And I even think you can make an argument. I don't know, again, if Monty feels like doing this, but if Rubio misses any time, you could slot Booker over to point guard and you could still put Mikhail at shooting guard. And honestly, that's probably what I personally would prefer over having, again, Tyler Johnson at shooting guard. So I think in any of those scenarios, uh, there's going to be enough injuries on this team where Mikhail gets his 22 uh, game started somehow, even if he doesn't start over Ubre primarily. Max, what do you think? Yeah, that's really interesting. I actually hadn't considered Mikhail starting in place of Booker if Booker gets hurt. That's actually a really good idea. I'd always thought I would have been Tyler, but yeah, that, that would make a lot of sense. Um, I also like, you know, you're speaking to me, say in my heart, when you talk about Booker playing point guard, I'm like the number one proponent of that. And I don't really feel like <laughs> everyone gets so angry about it. He's 22 year old and he had a pretty decent uh, role at point guard last season. The team was good with him doing that. So, you know, maybe see if he can do it some more. Um, but ultimately, oh man, this is so tough. I mean, I think again, another good line. I think that Mikel, if everybody's healthy, I don't think Mikel is going to start. I, I think just it makes sense to start Ubre and bring in Mikel quickly and then uh, bring Ubre back with the bench unit because Ubre needs to be on the bench unit. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go under here because I think this team's going to be a little more stable than the past teams have been. I think they're going to try really hard to maintain their starting lineup to the extent they can. So I'm going to bet on there not being as many injuries as there have been in the past, that the team's relatively whole, and that they're not going to start Mikel right now. I tend to agree. Now, I will say I was planning on going under until Sam made that point about Devin Booker getting injured. Devin Booker tends to miss some games throughout the season. If there's a combination of injuries sustained by uh, Booker, Oubre, or Saric, 
the logical conclusion in a lot of those cases would be to slot Mikhail Bridges into the starting lineup. So my initial plan was to go under here. And Sam, you actually talked me into the over, I think. Wow, uh, that's a bad idea. Also, <laughs> maybe it is, but uh, well, you know what? I've also, cho- I think Max and I are, yeah, Max and I are the same so far. So oh, yeah. now this will be my first break. I'm breaking from Max on this one. So we'll see if that uh, that is my doom uh, going forward. Breaking but from the champion. I just, I just feel like, Yeah, exactly. But I also feel like there's a chance that Mikhail Bridges just earns a starting spot. Mikhail Bridges is a very good basketball player. If his three-point shot improves dramatically, uh, he can kind of play anywhere from two to four in specific scenarios. Obviously, there's a lot of fours that can beat him up a little bit physically, but that amount of fours that play physical is reducing every single year. So the idea that consistently he's going to have to face guys that are bigger and stronger than him, depending on how much he's gained in in, in strength this season, that's going to go down over time. And I think actually uh, Ubre can handle a lot of those players as well. So I think there's a chance he can earn that starting spot at some point during the year, and that would change it as well. And really, like, like Sam said, essentially all it takes is one more dramatic injury, which we haven't had a lot of with the Suns, thank God, other than, I guess, Isaiah Cannon. There hasn't really been a lot of that. So uh, that's really all it would take. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the over on that one, and we'll see if that comes back to bite me in the end. Yeah, and Mike, to your point on Mikhail just outplaying everybody, it's not like Sarge is like this, you know, NBA all-star and he's outplayed. There's a chance <laughs> Sarge just not be that good. Right. That could happen. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I expect him to be good, and I, I really do, but... Uh, Mikhail Bridges is one of those guys that everyone loves to talk about how great he is. Coaches love him. Uh, teammates love him. And he does kind of fill the gaps. He's an excellent defender. He can be a good rebounder with his length. Um, and really all it takes is that three-point shot. If, if that three-point shot drops and falls consistently, it, it's going to be kind of hard, even maybe over Ubre. I mean, Ubre is really only on a two-year deal and is a potentially uh, movable contract at the trade deadline. And it's possible that you know, he can earn that spot over Kelly Oubre. So we'll see. An interesting year, I think, for for Mikhail Bridges. Mm-hmm. Next one, our first one about Ricky Rubio, our only one, I believe, about Ricky Rubio. And I think this is the most interesting one with Ricky Rubio. It's assists. And I think this one's difficult because Ricky Rubio, his assist number have been up and down throughout the years. His role in Minnesota, I think, was... Very ball dominant. Obviously, he had a lot more touches in Minnesota. He had a lot of assists down low to Carl Anthony Towns. And I think the most similar big man that he's played with is DeAndre Ayton going forward. I set the line at 7.1. When he went to Utah, he has not averaged that many assists. They were in the 6 to 6.5 and a little bit more range throughout his time in Utah. And I assumed that he will have more assists here in Phoenix, being that uh, there's a massive point guard hole on the team and he's going to fill that hole. And also the guys he's playing with, I think, with uh, Devin Booker, who's actually a good spot-up shooter, and DeAndre Ayton, who's a great pick-and-roll player. I assumed that assist number will go up a little bit. Uh, Max, we'll start with you. 7.1 over under Ricky Rubio assists. So I've seen some people on Sun Twitter and other places suggest they'll have his highest assist year ever. I think that's a little bold. He had not wow. won one year in Minnesota. I don't think he'll get that high, but I think he's going to go pretty comfortably over this number. I think this is the one that I, I feel strongly about that we've had so far. I could see around eight. Interesting. I think this is going to be – he's going to have a role here, as you mentioned, where he's just more involved in the offense. Like He's going to be in command of the offense more so than you know when they let Donovan Mitchell do his little show in Utah. Uh, so yeah, I feel pretty good about it. I think Rubio is going to be great here. I, as long as he stays healthy, that's the big, you know, as long as, 
But yeah, I feel pretty good about this one. Again, and I'm not doing this intentionally, Max. This is just the way I feel, I promise. But I'm going to go under uh, and play <laughs> devil's advocate a little bit. And, and my argument for that is just going to be that in any system, regardless of how many assists you get, those is, well, you can only get so many assists in totality, you know, through all of your players. And first of all, Devin Booker is too talented of an offensive player to really deny him the ball that much. So that right there, you know, definitely comes into play. The other thing about this team, though, that I've mentioned on Twitter before is I really like the playmaking potential of five of our six or even six of our seven best players. I'm throwing Kelly Oubre out of there for a second because he definitely has to work on that. But all of us, I think, at various points throughout last season, praise Mikhail Bridges for his surprising playmaking ability uh, for a rookie. Dario Saric is a guy who can get a couple assists a game. DeAndre Ayton is a guy who you give him the ball on those elbow touches. He can find guys, open cutting lanes. Tyler Johnson adds additional playmaking. I think the Suns have somehow acquired just a wealth of playmakers, regardless of the position that they actually play, that it just hurts Rubio's ability to dominate the assist totals uh, among everyone. And so for that reason, I'm going to go under. Um, but I could see this being really close. Yeah, I've. This is this is actually a really hard one for me. Because if you take what Monty Williams and James Jones has said this offseason at face value, the idea is that the ball will constantly be moving. There's no ball-dominant players. Everyone will catch, pass, and shoot. Quick decision-making, all of that stuff that he's talked about. We talk about it all the time, Sam. They're trying to recreate the Spurs offense when you know, when Monty actually helped coach, uh, was an assistant with the Spurs. And if you take that at face value, then I would say the under at first as well. But... I think that the best role for Ricky Rubio on this team is just running pick and roll after pick and roll. I think that's the best option. With Devin Booker as a spot-up shooter and DeAndre Ayton as the roller, it's hard to believe that he can't get over 7.1 assists. And I don't think it's going to be dramatically over, in my opinion, but I think it's going to be a slight over. So I'm going to have to pick the over on that one as well. And and really, I think it's going to be like a 7.2, 7.3. I'm not overly confident in that one because... It's really difficult to say because I just think that's the best role for him. So over time, maybe they'll adjust to that. But if they really play like they've said that they want to play, it's hard to believe that he's going to get that. Yeah, no, I think that all makes sense. It's going to be it's, it's a really interesting one because I agree with all the points about the way the Suns are going to try to spread the ball around. But I also just I look at his career stat sheet and like the only time he ever played over, you know, around 32 minutes a game, he's always had huge assist totals. And it really just tipped off when he went to Utah. I guess all I would say is if both of you guys are over, we're, I'm going to spoil it right now. We also have an over-under line set for Booker's assists. And so I'm going to be curious to see how you guys answer that too because yeah. yep. you know it's, it's going to be hard to get a lot of playmaking out of both of those guys. Yep. Yeah, and I think the one thing that almost made me go under was when uh, – uh, they, when Max talked about uh, the Donovan Mitchell show and he allowed Donovan Mitchell to do that in uh, Utah, well, Devin Booker's better at that. <laughs> that, that was yes. my first thought. Is uh, The fact that Devin Booker's better at that makes me kind of feel like maybe uh, Ricky Rubio would actually defer a little bit more to Devin Booker because he is, he is better, he's a better offensive player, basically. That's very true, but he's also a much better passer, too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so it makes me wonder. Now, this episode is about gambling lots of gambling so what we want to talk about real quick before we get back to our over-unders is mybookie.com mybookie is the place to bet on football every weekend our blue wire podcasters are using mybookie.com slash blue wire to sign up this year uh it has better bonuses more prop bets than any other sports book period this year they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest where first place is guaranteed to win at least 
$100,000 and it only costs $100 to enter. Being that this is, of course, a basketball podcast and an episode about gambling, I decided to look up some MyBookie lines for basketball. Now, there's not a lot of NBA lines yet, but of course, the over-unders are there. One thing we haven't talked about with Max is the over-under for wins. MyBookie has it set at 28 and a half. I assume we're all picking over. I'm picking over. Sam, are you picking over at 28 and a half wins? Yeah, come on. We talked about it. Max, over under 28 and a half wins for the Suns. I'm usually negative, man, but I think that's way too low. I'm going easy over. I agree. This is an easy bet. Go to mybookie.com slash blue wire and bet that, guys. That's 28 and a half wins. We all think it's over. Win some easy money on the Suns. The other thing I think is interesting is the FIBA World Cup odds. USA is negative 200, minus 200 for uh, FIBA World Cup odds. But the other ones that are interesting, if you don't believe in this Team USA, if you really hate Donovan Mitchell that much, <laughs> maybe look at Serbia, which is plus 325, or if you saw the clip of Ricky Rubio's step back three, Spain is at plus 1,400. So you can go on and get <laughs> wow. some amazing odds at anyone beating the Team USA. I'm not sure I'm confident in Team USA this year. Uh, and if you're not confident, maybe look at uh, betting someone other than Team USA. So just visit MyBookie online. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E slash BlueWire. There's a promo code BlueWire when creating your account to claim the bonus. That's MyBookie. Bet, win, get paid. All right, let's get back to it. This is the first one about rookies. So this is our first rookie that we're going to talk about. The interesting one was Cam Johnson. So Cam Johnson, it was actually, Sam and I debated for a while what to, what to do for Cam Johnson because it's all about shooting, right? That's the only conversation with Cam Johnson. That's what everyone wants to talk about. That's what everyone wants to see. So we decided Cam Johnson games with four or more three-pointers made. And we set it at five. We didn't do it at a very large amount because the the assumption is we're not sure how much he's going to play. We're not sure how much he's going to be healthy. I don't want to get into that too much, but uh, we want him to be healthy. We want him to play. The assumption is maybe he makes two or three and then he stays in for the rest of the game. Maybe he hits a few more. So how many games with four or more three-pointers made? We set it at five. Sam, we'll start with you. What do you think? Over or under five? Can I play a game with you guys real quick? Sure. Sure. How many games with four plus threes do we think, or do you think, Mikhail Bridges had last year? Uh, Not very many, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'd say two. (laughs) The answer is exactly five. Oh. Uh, Oh. And so that kind of makes me think that Cam has a pretty good chance here. Now, granted, Mikhail played more minutes than Cam is going to play, but Cam is going to come in, and all he's going to do is shoot. Actually, uh, Max, your boy... Landry Shamit, 12 games as a rookie with four plus threes. Is that all? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think Cam has a real good shot. I'm taking the over. Uh, If he's just going to come in and shoot and be a microwave. uh, At first, I thought that that this would be hard to do for a rookie, but then I looked it up and some guys have done it before. So I really think he can. Yeah, I think I'm in on the over on this one, too. Um, I don't think he's going to play a lot early on, but I think he'll play a lot later on. And I think pretty much all he's going to be doing is shooting threes is what he's advertised as. So, uh, I mean, I, ho- I hope that's what he can do because that's what we're sold on. So let's see it. Max, 46.5% from NBA range hey, last year. <laughs> Dude, if you watch him play, he can. he's not a fake shooter. He's a real shooter. So as long as he gets the opportunity, yeah. he can do this. 
Yeah, and over 50% on contested threes. <laughs> it's kind of an insane stat for him. Um, I'm going to go over as well because uh, I believe in shooting, and I think that players that shoot really well just earn playing time over time, and I think he's going to earn a lot of it. And uh, I'm not over. I'm not overly convinced that after the trade deadline we're going to have all three of the wings that we have uh, going forward as well. So it's possible after the trade deadline he plays a lot. Uh, we'll see. Next one. Monty Williams pace. So this is the Suns pace, but it, we wanted to have one that was Monty Williams related. Uh, so we decided to choose pace because I thought it was representative of his sort of evolution as a coach over time. Now, what we did is we set it at what the Suns were last year. It's 12th in pace. So the Suns were 12th in the league in pace at the end of last season, which actually quickened over time. At the beginning of the season, we were in the 20s, uh, close to the bottom of the league. And by the end of the season, we were 12th in pace. So the idea is, will we be higher in that ranking or lower in that ranking? And I'll go first since I've been making you guys go first this whole whole time. I'm actually going to choose over. So I'm going to say we're faster. So over means faster than 12th in the league. So I think we're, we will be potentially top 10 in the league in pace in general. Um, they seem to be talking about this team playing quickly. I think with Ricky Rubio, even if you don't start fast at the beginning of the season, over time you you realize how great of a transitional playmaker he is and I think that's something that's going to affect the game plan even if they don't start playing really fast at the beginning of the season similar to last year I also think Kelly Oubre Devin Booker if those three guys are in the starting lineup and even DeAndre Ayton who one of his biggest advantages is running fast that's what he does as a big man uh, I think over time we're going to we're going to end up faster and the entire league is getting faster so this is actually what makes it really difficult so we'll see if it ends up being over, but I'm going to choose the over because that's what I think it is. Sam, what do you think? I'm going to take the under. Um, I really like to talk about playing faster, but ultimately talk is cheap. And I'm going to default to looking back at what Monty did with New Orleans. And the fact of the matter is each of his five seasons coaching the Hornets at the time and then the Pelicans, they were in the bottom 10 in the league in pace. And, you know, granted, this is going to be a different team. It's not going to be Anthony Davis centered. It's going to be centered around a guard in Devin Booker, probably, although we do hope DeAndre Ayton plays a more prominent role. And I also think, Mike, you bring up a good point with Ricky Rubio being a, uh, an excellent playmaker in transition. But regardless, given what Monty has done in the past, uh, I would just bet on slower than 12th for sure. I think this is easily one of the hardest ones out here, Maybe, probably the hardest one. And I, I don't really have a, a full read on what the Suns are going to do. So I'm going to go ahead and bet more on what I think the league's going to do. I think the Suns will stay about the same. The league will shift slower slightly because Golden State, they're not dead, but they're deader than they've ever been. They're not, they're not that Herculean, impossible giant they've been over the past couple of years. And I've heard people make the point that that's going to lead the teams playing more to biggish lineups, maybe slowing down a little bit more because they don't have to worry about that, you know, the, the specter of Golden State on the horizon. So I think I'm going to say mm. the rest of the league kind of shifts slightly slower. And maybe what it is is everyone gets faster, but at a slower rate, and the Suns get faster at the same rate. But I think what it will result in is the Suns staying about the same, but uh, moving over in the, uh, in the total league rankings. All right, so you're saying over. I like yeah. that. That's an interesting theory there. Um, the hardest part, I think, was the number 12th. Uh, you know, once I realized the Suns were 12th last season, I, I had difficulty putting it any higher or any lower than that because – uh, you know, I, it felt like they were kind of slow last yeah. season, and I think they were at the beginning of the year. So um, that number surprised me. So I thought it was a good place to put it. So I'm glad we kind of differed on that one. I have a feeling we're all going to be relatively similar on this next one, and we don't have to spend too much time on it, but it's Jalen LeCue, games played. So these are not 
Northern Arizona Suns games played. These are Phoenix <laughs> Phoenix Suns games played. And I set it at 9.5, and I feel like that's too high now looking at it because I'll go first. I'm going to say under on that one. I just have a feeling that he might not play any games for the Suns this season. I really liked him in Summer League, but there was a lot of really good players not playing Summer League, so I think some of the maybe not so good players stood out a little more than normal. Um, that's sort of my theory there. And I think, uh, there's a chance he plays a few at the end of the season, especially with injuries or if the season maybe doesn't go as well as we want it to, uh, there's a chance he plays. But, uh, I think with, uh, the guys we have, Ty Jerome, Tyler Johnson, Devin Booker, Ricky Rubio, there's essentially four guys ahead of him in that point guard rotation. And it would take a few different injuries at the same time to get him to play more than 10 games or 10 or more games. So Max, what do you think about over under 9.5 games for Jalen LeCue? You guys are going to have to remind me, is Ryan McDonough still the GM? Uh, I don't believe <laughs> he's not. he is. Oh, he's not anymore? Okay. I'm going to go under then. Uh, I love Jalen, <laughs> but it's, it, he's not ready yet. He should not. If, if he's playing, things are really, really wrong. The number of games that Jalen LeCue will play for the Phoenix Suns next season will be under 9.5. However, my friends, the score that each of the judges will give him in the NBA Slam Dunk Contest for each of his dunks will be over <laughs> 9.5 because he will get a perfect 10 from every judge, a perfect 50 on every dunk, if you will. And similar to Derek Jones Jr., I think he could be one of those guys who plays like five games all season but still makes an appearance in the dunk contest, and uh, that would be really fun to watch. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Who doesn't want to see like a 12-year-old in the dunk contest? <laughs> that would be kind of fascinating. Uh, this next one has some relation to last year. Uh, this is Ty Jerome minutes per game average, and it's 18.1, and that sounds like a lot. And part of the reason that sounds like a lot is because that's what Elliot Kobo played last season. There's some debate, I think, of whether or not Tyler Johnson is the backup point guard for this team. And I tend to think that he's not. Otherwise, there's really no backup shooting guard. There is a possible three-guard rotation where Ty Jerome is kind of left out. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be what it is. I think Ty Jerome was brought onto this team to play minutes. I think that they believe in him. And I have a feeling he's going to play significant minutes over time. Uh, Sam, why don't we start with you on this one? Uh, do you think Ty Jerome will play more or less minutes than Elia Kobo played last season? Hopefully less, right? I, I like to believe in Ty Jerome. I think he's more of a veteran coming in than Elia Kobo was. Will be a little more seasoned through his experience at Virginia and as we've talked about before, that's the strategy that James Jones was going for with both Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome. Um, it's pretty evident now. However, uh, he shouldn't be playing more than 18 minutes. If he's playing more than 18 minutes, either he is the next Steve Nash uh, or something has gone horribly, horribly wrong with Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker and we're facing some serious injuries, which hopefully is just not going to be the case. Or we're tanking again, uh, which would be equally disastrous. So. You know, I hope they believe in Ty Jerome for 12, 14, 16 minutes per game. I just don't think it's going to be over 18. I'm still reeling from the revelation that Elliot Kobo put 18.1 minutes a game last season. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I love Ty Jerome. He's my Twitter banner. I think I'm among his biggest cheerleaders around. But I just I don't think he should be playing that many minutes a game yet. I'm, I'm going to go under on that. I think the Suns actually are probably going to sign another guard at some point this season because – they're not going to have a, a perfect season of health from every single one of their guards. They're not all playing 82 games. It's just not going to happen. I, Mikel, I think, will play a lot of the backup minutes with uh, with Tyler Johnson. And maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. They don't, they don't have the right guard there. They're going to have to get him somewhere else. But I'm hoping Ty Jerome gets eased in because I think he's going to have a great career. 
I agree with that. I, I'm a huge fan of Ty Jerome, and uh, I, I'll be honest, I, I'm picking over partially because both of you went under, <laughs> but partially because of my same logic of Cam Johnson, where shooting tends to earn you minutes over time, especially on a team that has, you know, although we've improved in shooting, this team still has some shooting problems, especially in that starting lineup. I have a feeling that Ty Jerome is one of those guys that's going to earn lots of minutes over time. And, you know, he's not young. He's not a 19-year-old rookie like the Suns are used to. This is a guy that could actually step in and play some minutes. If he if his shot translates to the NBA the way that I think it could with his size, I think that he could end up averaging more minutes than Elio Kobo. Um, I am partially betting on that to try and uh, win one on you guys. So we'll see if that works, that strategy. Uh, we got to separate here somewhere, but... I just think that uh, he just he just doesn't really do anything wrong. I think that's the main thing with Ty Jerome. Not a lot of mistakes made if you watch him play defensively or offensively. Yes, he's athletically challenged, but that doesn't seem to be <laughs> something that James Jones is worried about for this team because there's not a lot of superstar athletes on this team except for maybe DeAndre Ayton and Kelly Oubre. So I have a feeling that's not going to be something that holds him back too much. Um, so I'm going to go over on there. We'll see if I get you guys on that one. This one, shout out to the uh, Baines fan club account on Twitter. <laughs> this is Aaron Baines screen assists per game. And uh, it's hard to think of one for Aaron Baines uh, that's not just like three-point percentage as well. We didn't want to do a bunch of three-point percentage ones. He had 3.2 screen assists per game in Boston. Uh, and he played quite a bit of minutes there, considering. Uh, so I set it at three, slightly less screen assists per game. Now, he doesn't really, he never really played with a guy like Devin Booker, but there is, of course, a guy named Kyrie Irving mm. that tend, tended to score around screens. So I set it a little bit less, and, uh, and, and that's my thoughts on that one. I'll, I'll tell you guys what I'm doing in a second. Max, why don't we start with you? What do you think? Do you think Aaron Baines in Phoenix can get more than three or less than three screen assists per game? I got to tell you what, Mike, I have no idea. I, but I love Aaron Baines. <laughs> I love Aaron Baines' account, so I'm going over on that alone. I just love them. I love them both. Who fucking knows with this one? That I I was getting ready to give my serious answer, and then uh, Max went with that. I'm gonna go under because who knows? Maybe right? Like it, it. We just know nothing about this offense. We know oh, nothing about how this offense is gonna work. Uh, I'm the opposite of me. It, it works. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Re- this time you might get a perfect score, and I might get zero out of sixteen. So based on last year's results. But, um. Uh. Yeah. I'm just gonna go under. I'm gonna go under as well. I just think there's a chance he plays a little bit less, and I'm not like you said. I, I think there's a chance that he stands in the corner more than he normally does. Now we do need his screens, but clearly he was brought on because he now shoots threes. One of the biggest talking points from Gambo was he really expects the Suns to bring on a big man, a backup shooter, essentially a big man shooter, uh, and then Aaron Baines was that guy. So I have a feeling they're going to want him to shoot a lot, especially because shooting is hard to find. Um, you know, the rest on the rest of this team. The next two are actually related. Uh, these are Tyler Johnson, games played for the Suns, which is 55. And if you remember last year, we did this with TJ Warren. And the idea was, will they play more games than essentially the games that were scheduled before the trade deadline or less? And then one after that is All-Stars traded for, and that <laughs> is 0.5. And the idea of this is, will the Phoenix Suns make a trade for an All-Star 
this season. Now, a lot of the assumptions is Tyler Johnson will be part of that because of his inflated salary. That's part of the reason he's paid this way is the idea that he can be uh, a trade piece on an expiring deal at the end of his career. We all know he's overpaid, but over the length of his contract, not necessarily. It's just a poison pill deal that goes up dramatically at the end. So let's start with Tyler Johnson games played for the Suns. Essentially, do you think that he will be traded before the end of the year? Max, let's start with you. Yeah, I'm just going to play the probabilities here. It's more likely that they don't trade for somebody who makes that much money than it is that they do trade for it. So I'm going to go over on Tyler Johnson games played, under on the All-Stars traded for. But I hope I'm wrong because it would be awesome. If we're super exciting and good and we trade for Blake Griffin, let's do that. What if we trade for Vince Carter? Less excited for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, so any, any person who's made an all-star game in the past counts? Vince Carter counts? That's the yes. Yes. Any any player that's made an all-star team. And, and you know what? There's not a lot of old ones left. So mm. uh, <laughs> there's not Vince Carter is the guy that we can. I, Does it count know. if James Jones signs Joe Johnson? Because I kind of have expect that. Oh, um, God. no, if we, you know, this is traded for, so that wouldn't yeah. count. If we trade for Joe Johnson, like if he signs somewhere else, God, now I'm terrified of that, Max. I know, sorry. <laughs> That's just you terrifying that? me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't think that counts. It has to be traded for. It doesn't have to be Tyler Johnson necessarily, but I, I'd say yes, we'd have to trade. Um, Sam, what do you what do you think? I am, for once, maybe going to agree with Max on both counts. Um, <laughs> everything the Suns have done just points to them standing pat for the next couple of years, and I think they're really setting themselves up for having a lot of cap space two years from now when they're actually going to be good free agents again. We know that they are going to be absolutely no good free agents next summer. Uh, and, and so, you know, all these guys, Kelly Oubre, frankly, who's on a two-year deal, Dario Saric, whose uh, contract expires at the end of this season, Tyler Johnson – I caution Suns fans to get too attached to any of them because I think they're very solid players who are solutions to make the Suns a decent team in the interim, um, but are maybe going to be dumped down the line so that the Suns can open up some more cap space and chase a big fish a couple of years from now. I don't think they're going to make that trade yet. Now, however, I will say, you know, if Blake Griffin hits the market, it would be great to go for him. It would be lovely if we traded for Bradley Beal. Uh, But also, if those guys hit the market, I think there are also teams that can put together more competitive packages for their services uh, than Phoenix can. So, again, like Max said, probability, uh, we're not going to trade for an all-star. Yeah, the the one thing that keeps me... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with both of you guys, and I hate to do that, but I just do. That's how I feel as well. I think, for one, I think Tyler Johnson is just one of those guys that coaches love, and I think they're not going to want to get rid of him. He, he gives it his all 100% of the time, and in a backup role, I think his value will actually increase dramatically. I think people are going to really appreciate uh, him, including fans. I think fans are really going to fall in love with Tyler Johnson in a different way than they did last year uh, because I think his value is going to be magnified by going against uh, backup players essentially so i think there's a there's a good chance that not only does he stay i think that the coaches are going to love him and he's going to be pretty valuable for this team going forward and i i do think there's a chance if blake griffin becomes available i actually think there's a chance that the suns will give up a lot to get blake griffin and uh and i'm not you know part of me says of course we should do that the other part of me is terrified of mikhail bridges becoming the next Kawhi leonard Mm. as unlikely as that appears to be, uh, it's just one of those things where Mikhail Bridges is absolutely going to be one of the guys that they target if they end up trading. And I do think it's interesting that you talked about other teams being in on Blake Griffin. I do wonder who those teams actually would be. He is massively overpaid. He's an injury risk. 
Uh, sometimes I think about Portland. Portland is always one of those teams that could be in the mix for trading for a guy. There's Atlanta as well. Like if Atlanta potentially wants to move, I think Atlanta is probably the biggest threat that we face if they want Blake Griffin because they have those moves. If Detroit wants to move on from Blake Griffin, they clearly want to rebuild. And I know it's kind of weird to hear, but CJ McCollum, if he is expendable in Portland, is actually, he's like 29 years old. He's not as young as mm-hmm. a lot of people think he is. It's not exactly a rebuilding piece at this point of his career. Uh, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure who that team would be if Blake Griffin became ab- available. Like who who the other people would be that want to trade for him. And I do think that the Suns actually would be willing to give up major future assets for him. So I don't think it will happen. I'm going to bet the under because I just think it's unlikely that the Suns will be good enough at that time to to really sacrifice those assets. And if they are good enough, I think Mikael Bridges will be one of those pieces that that makes them good enough. So I I don't know that they'll want to give him up. Um, that's actually a really hard one for me. I don't want to pick either of those things that I picked, although I do like Tyler Johnson. I would like for the Suns to trade for an all-star. I think we've talked about it basically every few weeks, essentially. We talk about the possibility of the Suns trading for an all-star. So we'll see where that one ends up. That's going to be an interesting one. The trade deadline is more and more interesting every year. Real real quick, I don't know if you guys have covered this extensively in your podcast. I just want to bring it up because we're talking about trades involving Tyler Johnson. Have you guys talked about how awesome that trade James Jones pulled for Tyler Johnson was just trading Ryan Anderson's dead corpse over there? Like, that thing got pilloried yep. on NBA Twitter. Everybody thought that was the dumbest thing ever, and it turns out it was like one of his best moves that we've had in the Suns in the past three years. Like, just goes to show you how like bad the analysis of the Suns mm-hmm. is. Yeah, yeah, we definitely talked about that. And what I think is frustrating about that move specifically is that it was brilliant at the time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is not one of those ones where it's not one of those ones where you look back later and you go, you know what? Looking back, like the Kelly Oubre one, I think is one that you, you weren't really sure about at the time. It seemed mm-hmm. like a good move at the time, but really Kelly Oubre had to play well for it to make sense. Um, you know, especially now that he wasn't massively overpaid. That that part's kind of nice with it too. But with the Ryan Anderson. Tyler Johnson one that was clearly a good move as soon as it happened and it it was very frustrating I think for a lot of people who uh, saw the way it was treated online Uh, you know and there wasn't a lot of fight back with that because nobody really watched the Suns afterwards but I think if other people really revisited that move now it would be pretty obvious that it was a, a good trade I think so too yeah I mean Tyler Johnson Tyler Johnson is a playable NBA player and Ryan Anderson is not the analysis should be that simple and for whatever reason it wasn't uh, and you talked about there being no fight back. I mean, Tyler obviously got injured, but I think maybe if he stays healthy this season, we will have our chance, especially if the Suns win more games, to push back on that narrative a little bit as a fan base. Yeah, I think most likely most people forget about it. <laughs> um, next one. But people will. We had to have a- they will remember the Ubre Brooks thing, and they will remember the Melton <laughs> trade, but they'll forget the Tyler Rachel Johnson. Rachel Nichols will, for sure. <laughs> Uh, nobody, nobody thinks Rachel Nichols is as funny as Rachel Nichols does. <laughs> uh, Frank, this next one, Frank Kaminsky. We had to have a Frank Kaminsky one, uh, and it was all of the ones we could think of were boring. So we have this Frank Kaminsky memes over under two hundred. I'll go first. Over two hundred memes. I guarantee it. Sam, what do you think? Over two hundred. Suns fans are going to get so fucking frustrated at Frank Kaminsky. It's going to be hilarious, uh, and I actually like him a lot. I think he's going to provide some shooting, but. He's a funny dude. Way over 200, and the best part is going to be if the reason why they're frustrated is because they're U of A fans also, and he's actually good. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing I could care less than that. Um, (laughs) College basketball in general. I watch it to see who will be in the NBA, and that's it. Same. All right, we're here. We made it to the Devin Booker section of our over-unders. There's 
one, two, three, four of them. And uh, I think they're all going to be kind of interesting. This first one is... If you skipped straight here, then welcome to this section of the episode. (laughs) Do you guys have a bunch of Devin Booker only fans that listen? (laughs) I I assume so. I, I actually don't know. Booker, Devin Booker, charges drawn... And this is 5.5. Never in Devin Booker's career has he drawn more than five charges in an NBA season. Last season was the most charges he's drawn in a season, and it was five. And I think what I wanted to do with this one, it was find one that was indicative of his effort on defense. And that's hard to do just because there's not a mm. lot of stats that do that. And I think this was the, the cleanest one to really identify charges drawn. He, he took a few last season. He took five. I believe it was four the season before that. And I don't think it was more than one in his previous two seasons. So it's not been a lot uh, over his career. Um, I'm going to say over because it's six seems like nothing. And if he can stay healthy and if Monty <laughs> Williams is what he says he is, as far as just crawling halfway up his ass to make sure he plays defense, uh, then I think there's a chance that, those charges come now i'm not saying that that guarantees he's going to be a better defender but i think charges there's like a there's something that with charges that really solidify a team they really bring everyone together on the court and i think if you're trying to be a leader if you're trying to prove effort i think taking a charge is something that gets the message across to the rest of your team so i'm going to say over on that one because it just doesn't seem like that much although it's never happened before uh sam what do you think do you think he'll take more than 5.5 so more than five charges in the entire season if he has more to play for than ever before, then why wouldn't he? Uh, especially if we're, you know, throwing these expectations at him that he has to put in the effort. I don't think any of us here on this panel uh, expect Evan Booker to be a good defender or even suggest that he has uh, the athletic abilities to be a great defender. You know, he doesn't have Mikhail Bridges' wingspan. I would expect him to rack up three or four deflections per game or whatever Mikhail does. But I think charges drawn was a really good stat to use because it's just effort. Just by putting in the effort, uh, he's going to get better as a defender. And if the Suns are winning games, the effort will be there. I'd like to believe that he will get more than five and a half. Yeah. If uh, Steve Nash could do it, then why can't Booker do it? Uh, Sam uh, (laughs) warned about the dangers of small sample size theater earlier. But I think a couple of those charges he drew last season were in those stretches when the Suns were actually competitive and trying, which lends credence to the theory that when the team's actually competitive, he'll actually try and give some effort on defense. I think this is a really easy over, honestly, assuming health and assuming that the Suns are as competitive as I think they are. Like, even if they lose a lot of games, I think they're going to be at least be, you know, not being blown out in all the games. So I've been saying for years now that I think Booker will at least not be the worst defensive player in the NBA when it seems competitive. So I'm going to lay my money where my mouth is. I'm going to say over. All right. That's interesting. And it's, it is interesting that you said that because the reason that I uh, – thought of this one this year is because I started documenting the charges drawn during that stretch where there were six and six or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed that he took, I think it was three charges over that time. And I just, I racked my brain. I couldn't even remember a single charge that he had taken in his entire career. And that's when I started <laughs> tracking that and actually looking up the previous year's charges. And I was shocked at how little it was. And, you know, I don't expect him to be Kyle Lowry or Aaron Baines or, you know, these guys that are like legendarily good at taking charges. Uh, but I do think he can improve. And, and I think you're right. I think if they're competitive, both of you, um, that's, that's something that's going to make a difference there. Uh, this next one was hard. This was hard to set the line. And it's a pretty straightforward one. It's Booker's points per game. Devin Booker points per game. And I set the line at 27.9. And I probably changed this one three or four times because it's hard. <laughs> it's just yeah. really hard to choose. 
what this team is and i think this one i think your answer to this one and hopefully ours differ because i think four in a row now we're exactly the same but uh i think the answer to this one is indicative of how you feel the team is going to play the question is essentially we expect the team to be better do we expect that to mean that devin booker scores significantly more than last year or do we expect that to mean that Devin Booker now has better teammates and takes a smaller role than previously because he can and he can trust his teammates more to score? So 27.9 is a lot. And I love, and I will say just a brief moment of just recognizing the fact that we're actually debating whether or not a player on the Phoenix Suns can average 28 points per game uh, in a year. And that's a realistic expectation to expect, which is kind of nice to have. This is a hard one to predict. Max, we'll start with you. What do you think about Booker points per game? I can't get that image out of my head of watching him on that stretch last season when he had those three games in a row where he scored 59, 50, and 48. I think it was a 49. And the guy is just one of the best scorers that I've seen. On, on the Phoenix Suns, probably the best I've ever seen. And in the league in a while, one of the mm-hmm. best that I've seen. I just think he's so good at scoring basketballs that the team being better around him and him having the ball out of his hands is not going to lead to him having fewer points. I think it's going to lead to him being a lot more efficient and just scoring a ton. I think he's going to be over this. Uh, I think he'll be close to 30, if not above 30. I, I really, wow. really, really high on Devin Booker. Wow. I really think he's amazing. Uh, you'll see where I think his assists are going to go in the next category because I think he's going to have the ball out of his hands a lot more. Because his team's going to be so much better, I just think he's just – that's going to be kind of his primary focus. And it's I, I think we're in for a really fun Devin Booker season. So I'm going over and I feel pretty good about it. I'll go under, I guess. But this one is it's really, really hard. I love the idea of Devin Booker averaging 30 points per game. I mean, that would just be phenomenal to go back to how you were introducing this one. Uh, not only is it amazing that we're talking about the Phoenix Sun averaging 28 points per game, but just the NBA in general in this era is absurd with how many high octane scores we have. Uh, to talk about and Booker is just now one of those guys uh, so that's really special to have on our team unfortunately I don't know I mean I, th- I still think he can improve his scoring like I think Devin Booker can average 27 and a half points per game which would be one, um, more than he did last year and I think the Suns can build a very very good team around that but seeing him go above 28 with all the extra help that we've put onto this roster is just a little bit hard for me, so I, I do think I'm going to take a slight under. <sighs> this one this one's so hard. Uh, and I set the line myself. You'd think I'd be more prepared. Um, I think I'm going to go under as well, but not confidently under. I, I agree with Sam. I think he'll average more points than last year, but I still think there's a chance that it's less than 28 points per game. I think that the development and his playmaking last year matters. I also think... <laughs> I also think there's a chance that he's doubled a lot this season just because of the drama over the offseason <laughs> and teams and players want to make a point of doubling him, <laughs> forcing him to give up the ball a little bit more. But And it's not just that. Uh, towards the end of last season, teams were trapping him around picks. This happened a lot more towards the end of the season and it worked relatively well just to get the ball out of his hands. Now, whether or not that works overall as far as uh, beating the Suns, uh, remains to be seen because the players that he's giving it up to now are much better than the players last year if he does get trapped around every screen that he goes around. So we'll see if that makes a massive difference or not. Um, I'm not overly confident in this one. I think there's a very high chance that he goes over. And I think to Max's point, this is his fifth year and uh, he really hasn't entered his prime yet. And there's a chance that this year is the year where he absolutely enters his prime. 
And I know I like to talk about Instagram videos, but those highlights mm. of him and his handles, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I was pretty impressed with that. I, I hate reacting to stuff highlights, but good God, man, he looks ridiculous. It really, and yeah. just real quick, I just wanted to defend my take because I hate, I hate being called a homer. So I wanted to defend this and make it seem a little more reasonable. After the All-Star break last season, when, to be real, I think he was finally healthy. He wasn't healthy very much last year. After the All-Star break, he had he averaged 31 points, 7 assists, on 61% true shooting. And he still only shot like 33% from three. I just think there's a lot of room for him to be way more efficient. Oh, he also averaged like nine free throw attempts a game. If he's doing anything like he was doing after the All-Star break... It's hard in numbers. It's, hard, it's, exactly, it's exactly what it is. It's hard in numbers. If he's doing things like that, it will not be hard for him to exceed this. It's just a matter of whether that's more of a flash in the pan thing or that's going to be something he's going to be. As long as he doesn't ride a unicycle or dance on a table in Scottsdale before the season starts, <laughs> we should be okay. I think there's a chance he hits it. Like I said, I'm not overly confident in that one. It's just it's the number. You got you to bet. Sometimes you got to really bet. It's a lot. So this one, we talked about it earlier. Devin Booker assists per game. And we set this one at less. This is the first time we're really going less. 5.6 assists per game. So the idea around this was pretty obvious. Ricky Rubio's on the team now. He doesn't have to play as much time at point guard. Uh, it's possible that his uh, abilities off the ball will be magnified a little bit more with a better team around him, which means less pick and roll handling, maybe a little more catch and shoot attempts. Um, I'll start. I'm, I'm still actually going to go over, uh, partially because I think he's going to be double teamed a lot (laughs) and partially because it's a, it's a number (laughs) that's low enough that I feel confident that he can still go over. He had six point, I believe it was 6.8 or 6.9 this last season. So this is significantly lower. Um, and I do think he'll average less assists. I I do think that it'll, you know, I think 5.7 is a reasonable expectation for him. And imagine if he averages 27 points and 5.7 assists. I think that's going to be something we talk about with our next question here. Uh, Sam, what do you think? Do you think he'll average more or less than 5.6? Yeah, well, you have to get the assist from somewhere. And because I took um, less than seven for Rubio, it's only natural for me to take over uh, here for Booker. I think it's going to be something like, Obviously, the offense isn't really going to work this way, but it's going to be similar to Dragic Bledsoe or Brandon Knight Bledsoe or Isaiah Thomas Dragic Bledsoe or any of those combos where you've got uh, multiple playmakers. No one guy who dominates the ball and gets nine assists per game, in my opinion, um, but uh, two guys who get like six and a half assists per game. That would probably be my guess. Really tough one. I think I'm going to go slight under, but if it was 5.2, I'd probably go over. Because I, I see Booker, even though we have Rubio now, and I do think the ball will be out of his hands much of the game. Uh, this is a decrease, I mean, as we mentioned, from last season. And he's still going to have the ball in his hands plenty. Like, at the end of the game, it's not going to be Rubio with uh, a minute left for the ball in his hands. And, and Booker still knows how to find people. So, still going to get his fair share of assists. But because I think he's going to be so much more focused on scoring, I'm going to go slightly under. All right. And the last one on the record here. Devin Booker, all-star appearances. Will this year be the year that Devin Booker makes the all-star team? So it's set at 0.5. Basically, if you pick over, you're saying he will make the all-star team. If you're saying under, you think he won't. Uh, I'll go first. I'm going to say over. I'm going to say this is a year. I think uh, I think it's going to be difficult to not give him... I know there's a lot of guards in the West, and this is, this is you know, maybe this will be my downfall as well. Uh it's just going to be hard to not give him an all-star appearance if the team is is actually competitive at that point in time and he's averaging what we expect him to average as we talked about with slightly improved defense like we expect. 
Um, Max, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I, 30 points a game, but way under. Uh, no, I, I think <laughs> part of my thought on Booker this year is like the past, the past few years, he has, I think, had like the statistical resume where he should have made it. But I think this year, I think the team will be better. But even if the team is not significantly better, it's just a little bit better. I think it's this is the year where he makes it undeniable. Like you can't keep him out because he's going to have like 30 and five or it's just some absurd uh, stat line. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going over. And, man, he, he really – I actually think this is like the biggest, most important thing for him not leaving Phoenix or demanding out. He needs to like make the all-star game because it has to kill him that he doesn't make it. Yeah, I'll take the over too. I'll take the over right. too. It'll be a clean sweep for this one. And let's just list those guys in the West that he's competing with uh, for good measure here. He's got to beat out Lillard. He's got to beat out McCollum. Harden, Westbrook, Curry, Donovan Mitchell's probably going to get a little bit better, guys. Sorry to say. Luka Doncic is going to be better this year, most likely. Uh, DeMar DeRozan is still out West. Drew Holiday is still a pretty good guard. Uh, Mike Conley, I guess, probably not really competing with Mike Conley. Like At that point, those are definitely players who are tier below Booker. Uh, but regardless, it's going to be tough. There are a lot of MVP caliber players in that list. And so, I don't know. I mean, I mm-hmm. guess I'm just banking on Booker having, like, based on where I set his lines, I'm banking on him averaging, like, 27 and a half and six and being on a team that's on pace for 35 wins. And I really think that's deserving of an all-star bid. Like, if you're going to continue to give C.J. McCollum uh, on a slightly better Portland team or Donovan Mitchell with worse stats uh, but on a slightly better Jazz team and all-star not over that, the logic just falls apart there. I don't think that makes any sense. So I will also say that this is going to be the year for Devin. All right. I like it. We end with some optimism. I think that's it. Those are our over-unders. Now it's your job for people who are listening to do it yourself. Fill out the over-unders <laughs> that we set up for you. It's a Google Fuck form. Fuck you and do it uh, yourself. It, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will track the overall numbers of what people who are listening choose. If you want to track your individual numbers, take a screenshot of what you chose and uh, upload it as a tweet so that we can all really hold ourselves accountable throughout the season and have this conversation as it goes. And of course, Max, you'll rejoin us at the end of the year once it's all said and done, and we can talk about who won this one, whether it be me, Sam, you, or the fans, and uh, and we'll see what we do for who, who wins at that point. Uh, off the record, though, Max, I do have to ask you, one of the most interesting ones last year were Dragon Bender Dunks. I believe he had 15 uh, this last year. Now he's on the Bucks. Uh, we have no idea how many uh, games or how many minutes he's going to play for that team. Do you have any guess as to how many dunks Dragon Bender will have for the Milwaukee Bucks? Good God, that's a tough one. I think the Bucks are going to be extremely good, and he will be in a lot of garbage time games. <laughs> I think he'll probably have around the same because of those minutes. <laughs> uh, Sam, you have any guesses? No, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, he's going to be a human victory cigar out there in Milwaukee, and we'll probably get <laughs> yes. Maybe slightly less than 15. I don't know. <laughs> that really is his destination as a player, right? To be a human victory cigar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say more. I'm going to say he ends up with more. Somehow, more than 15 dunks with the Bucks. That spacing, I think, will matter uh, over time. And he's probably not going to play a lot with Giannis. <laughs> so he'll have more room in the lane. Um, all right, Max, thank you once again for joining us. Like I said, one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, no, it was super fun. I loved it last year. I hope this year's just as fun when we go back on this, except for the actual year was also fun. So for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we were a little more optimistic, and we were relatively optimistic last year. So we'll see if that uh, comes back to bite us in the end. So every, everyone, thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you're uh, on Twitter, we'll tweet it out. If you're on Facebook, we'll put, post it on our Facebook page. And if you're on YouTube, we'll put it in the bio of the video. You can fill out the Google form. Let us know what you picked.
Bender rolls down the lane and slams it home. Jackson beats Bender, and the Suns could not have dreamt up a better start here tonight. Bender cutting down the lane, and the Dragon dunk. Back at home, off of a road trip, you want to take advantage. Nice ball fake by Bender, who rolls inside for the two-hand slam. And Aiton with a rebound. Back they go. Bender runs the floor. Heard his hand on that play as well. He hang on that rim. First catch and shoot. Pretty drop off to Bender, rolling to the right. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.